As we all eventually suspected, the Knicks sent Coach Dave Fisdale packing on Friday. Who are the best options to replace him? We break down the decision and what's next for the franchise with New York Post-Knicks beat writer Mark Berman. We also chat with a Hall of Famer who coached the Knicks for a year back in 2005, the one who played the right way, the legendary Larry Brown. All that and more next on a very special episode of Big Apple Buckets with the New York Post. Welcome to Big Apple Buckets, a New York Post, New York Knicks podcast. I'm your host, Kazim Famuide. You can call me Kaz. You can follow me on all social media platforms under the same name, at Kazim. That's K-A-Z-E-E-M. New episodes will drop every Tuesday as we dive into everything Knicks with our host of New York Post writers and special guests. Very special guests, as always. But today, today is an emergency Monday pod because if you're a Knicks fan, I'm pretty sure you know what happened this past week. Hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Five-star ratings are nice. Reviews are always welcome because I live off of compliments and oxygen. Today, <laughs> today we are joined by our man, one of the guys who've been covering the New York Knicks for over 20 years, our pal Mark Berman. And, of course, our very, very special guest, a former New York Knicks coach, a person who could speak specifically to the plight of being a head coach in this crazy, crazy town, the legendary Larry Brown. Let's get to it. Yeah, so I'm going to assume if you're listening to this podcast, you already know what's going down, man. The first foot finally dropped in the Knicks front office drama of 2020 with Coach Dave Fisdale and his assistant coach Keith Smart being let go after a poor 4-17 and start for this New York Knicks franchise. Uh, Mike Miller... Not, you know, Swingman Rookie of the Year, Orlando Magic Memphis Grizzlies Mike Miller, but former G League Coach of the Year uh, Mike Miller has been named the interim head coach for these New York Knicks. And for what it's worth, uh, Knicks put up kind of a little bit of a fight under his first uh, night as the head man. Uh, They lost 104 to 103 to the Indiana Pacers after a uh, brilliant showing by returning Alfred Payton, who kind of turned it up and showed some energy. And it was also... Uh, a lot to do with what happened before the game. Uh, Marcus Morris uh, went on record saying that there was a players-only meeting that took place that not even Pills and Mary, Pills and Mary, Scott Perry and (laughs) Steve Mills uh, knew about. And uh, obviously when we're at the point of the season where we're having players-only meetings, there's only means one thing. That means it's time to start taking accountability. People are playing with pride. And for the most part, the Knicks played with a lot of pride on Saturday night, but still just wasn't enough. Um, But back to Coach Fisdale, uh, a guy who's well-respected around the league, a guy who was, you know, came into this situation willing to take on the challenge, willing to take on the brunt of expectations when it comes to bringing New York Knicks back to prominence. Um, Did he think he was going to probably coach Chris Dasport's when he took the job? Probably. Uh, Did he think he was probably going to sign two max star free agents with his uh, well-connected background and the guys like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving come to the Knicks? Probably. Uh, did they probably think that they were going to get the number one pick? I'm sure, but that's luck. You know what I'm saying? R.J. Brad's no slouch. But all that considered, uh, a lot of people aren't really uh, that upset for Coach Fisdale. I think they're kind of looking at this as he's kind of escaped. He's gotten away. He's getting his, he's getting his four years 
of getting paid for, I think, 20-something million dollars to go home. And, you know, given the situation around the New York Knicks franchise, a lot of people on the outside looking in have seen Fisdale as the lucky guy to kind of escape this because as a guy who's as admired as he is around the league, I don't think he's going to be out of the league that long, whether he's an assistant coach, whether he goes back on ESPN's The Jump as an analyst or anything like that. I think he's going to be just fine. What I'm looking at right now is we have to look at that front office. You know, after a while, you can't steep, you can't keep passing the buck with Hornacek and, and, and Fisdale and Woodson and Fisher and just the carousel of coaches that have been coming each and every season. Right now, you got to look at that front office. You got to look specifically at Steve Mills, who has been uh, employed by the New York Knicks in one shape or another for the past 20 years. And outside of James Dolan, he's the one constant with the Knicks dysfunction. Still an attractive coaching destination. Like, despite the, the rumors you hear about, you know, Dolan being too hands-on, we're going to talk to Coach Larry Brown later on this episode about that type of situation in the league, and especially in this franchise. There are still people who will take this job. As crazy as it sounds, there are still people, prominent people in the NBA that will take this job, whether it's uh, Becky Hammond, a New York Liberty guard uh, who was also assistant coach, learning under the Popovich tree with uh, San Antonio Spurs, or Jason Kidd, who's had success as a head coach, who's had success as a New York Knicks player, who was also on the bench right now for the Los Angeles Lakers, and uh, 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 Frank Vogel. There's a lot of people interested. There's a lot of people that they could take, and uh, it's it's – that's the first step, though. I think the next step is front office changes. I think it has to be wholesale, whole facelifts of changes that need to happen for the Knicks to see some sort of anything that isn't mediocrity for the next couple of years. Yeah, and I think Steve Mills is next to go, and I think it's going to happen at some point. And when they do go, Kaz, they, they send these PR letters. They send these you know these notes out to the public of how they thank the coach or, the, or whoever gets let go. One, they sent it out two days later, later. They essentially said a statement. They said, the New York Knicks organization would like to thank David Fisdale for his leadership and professionalism over the past two seasons. He represented the organization with nothing but class. We wish him all the best in his future endeavors. Listen, to me, this is kind of like a BS little one-liner. You know, you do it two days later. You did the Friday, the typical Friday news dump. You wait it, carry into the weekend so you don't have the talk shows talking about it, but I thought they did him kind of dirty with that. I think waiting two days to let out a statement and then a one-liner for a guy who's been nothing but class and was thrown into a fire with a bad roster wasn't the right way to do it. But I, I know you think that he was only here for so little and didn't really have a moment that maybe that's all he deserved. Yeah, what could you what could you really say? I mean, like, I, I, I've gone on record as saying this isn't on Fizz. I think Fisdale is a very well-respected guy. I think you need guys like him in the league to have successful franchises because you got there's coaches that are X and O guys. There's guys that bring in their philosophies, and then there's just basketball guys that like people just like being around that will play hard for him. And you could tell by the you know the quotes from uh, Taj Gibson and Dennis Smith Jr. and a lot of guys that uh, were, were pretty shook up after they let go of Fisdale because as bad as – I mean, not that they were bad. I mean, they played hard. Outside of those 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 back-to-back 40-point blowouts, which will get any coach let go, you can't say they didn't play hard for this guy. You know what I mean? But with that, you know, let's be honest. He didn't really have a moment. I mean, like, what, what's, what's a signature Dave Fisdale win? Beating Porzingis twice? Like, I guess. But, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't here for that long. 
he wasn't here for that long. And I, and I think Fizdale is going to be just fine. I think he's a, an extremely charismatic dude. He is super well liked within the entire NBA. Um, I think he's he's got he was I honestly think he was cut a raw deal. I think he was cut a raw deal when he come to New York, came coming to New York Knicks. I think he thought that he was going to have Porzingis. I think he was going to have somebody to pair with Porzingis. He just kind of rolled with the punches. He was almost too good of a soldier to the New York's front office. And usually good soldiers are the first ones that get shot. All right, before you chat with Larry Brown in an incredible interview, uh, who do you hire? Gun to your head now. What what coach do you go with? Is it Mark Jackson? Is it Jeff Van Gundy? Is it Dave Yeager? Who does Mike Miller stay? Who does Cass hire? Well, I'm gonna put my hat on and say like I'm gonna think like I'm a Knicks executive, and I'm not gonna fire myself. I'm not gonna do anything. You know, if I'm Scott Perry or Steve Mills, I'm still trying to save my job. And the one way you save your job is with a good PR, and you give you you play with house money. And I honestly think in my heart of hearts. Becky Hammond of the San Antonio Spurs is the only logical hire here, you know? Unless you're trying to clean house completely, unless you're James Dolan and you're trying to get rid of basketball operations, uh, present basketball operations, the GM, all that type of stuff, the only safe face long-term hire here is Becky Hammond because, one, she is a, a, a basketball lifer. She's a New Yorker. She's under the Popovich tree. Um, she's a woman, you know what I mean? That's going to be a, a, that's, that's going to give them great PR only for so long. And on top of that, we don't know. We don't think if, if it goes wrong or right, we've already seen that it, a lot of times it's not the coach's fault. I think Becky Hammond could come in here playing with house money. And if she does well, she's golden. She is the golden goose of the NBA. If she doesn't do well, Coaches lesser than her that have had way more experience than her have not done well. So, I mean, like, why not? Why not go for Becky Hammond? Why not give her the shot? Why not, you know, take that, you know, woman under the Popovich tree and try and install some of those, those, uh, those values into the garden? And see how, and see what you roll with, man. Like after a while, you get, you can't, you got to stop going to what you know and try something different. Because at this point, man, the Knicks should be willing and able to try anything. I don't think they're above saying like, "Oh, we can't hire a woman because X, Y, Z." Like, no, you've you've stunk for the past twenty years, and it's time for you to try something new. So I'm, I'm that. I think that's the only logical long term hire. And I think they probably go with Mark Jackson, honestly. I just think he's a he's a Perry favorite, and, and they end up going with a guy who some fans would love just because of the whole Knicks connection. Although he might not be the right fit, I think they end up going with that Mark Jackson. All right, hey, Jake. You know what? Either one of those choices I'm not mad at, to be honest. But let's get into the interview today, man. Let's get into a real basketball mind. And, and granted, we could talk basketball all day, but, man, this guy right here, legend. Let's do it. And today on Big Apple Buckets, we have a very – very special guest, especially given the circumstances surrounding the current New York Knicks regime. He's a former New York Knicks head coach from 2005-2006, but he is the purveyor of playing the right way. He's won his 1,000th game as a head coach for the New York Knicks. He's a 2004 NBA champion with the Detroit Pistons Basketball Hall of Famer, has won championships in high school, college, pros, everywhere you could think of. The legendary coach, Larry Brown. How you doing, sir? I'm good, thank you. Good, great to have you here. I know it's a, I know it's a, it's a, it's a rough Monday today, but we really appreciate your time, man. You, you coached here with the Knicks. Uh, you wanted to take on the challenge of bringing 
uh, your hometown franchise back to prominence. Um, did you feel any pressure? Like, did you feel like the pressure was a little bit more escalated when you were uh, a head coach of the New York Knicks? Kind of like what what just took place with uh, Coach David Fisdale. No, it was no different than any other job I had. Um, you know, as a, I grew up as a young kid, loving the Knicks. Uh, I used to play in the playground when I was a young boy with Ray Holtzman. He was kind of my hero. Um, you know, I went to North Carolina because of Frank McGuire, who, you know, recruited my mom. And she was, you know, he coached at St. John's and was really connected with Mr. Irish, you know, who ran the garden. I used to go to the garden when I was a kid. I, I think when you become a coach, um, if you really care, um, you don't think about pressure. You just try to do the very best job you can. And uh, that's all you can do. Uh, you know, there's a lot expected of you when you get an NBA job. There's only 30 of them. But I had all the resources to be successful. Um, the only problem was I didn't think there was a connection between everybody. Um, and I think that was an issue that I had. I, I think when you, uh, when you get a coaching job in the NBA, the owner, the general manager, the president, and the coach have to be so connected that nothing gets in between any decision that you make. Now, you, you might not all agree on a decision, but at the end of the day, whatever is decided, um, it's got to be universal, and I, I think that was a problem for me. I didn't, I didn't go directly to Mr. Dolan. Um, I went chain of command, and a lot of times some of the things that we were talking about kind of didn't get, you know, interpreted the right way. But he, uh, he wanted to win. He gave you all the resources to win. I just did a poor job. Now, Larry, I know uh, a lot of people said, you know, a lot of people around the Knicks organization, I follow the Knicks organization, feel like uh, James Owen is too involved. They say that he he gets, he's a little too hands-on, and that kind of drives players away, could put a little undue pressure on coaches. But you're saying that he he, he weren't involved enough. Is, is, is that what I'm getting right now? Well, I didn't, I didn't go to Mr. Dolan enough and let him know exactly what what was on my mind. Um, and I think that was a problem. Everywhere I've been, um, I had a connection with the owner. Uh, and the, the more personal connection I had with ownership, the better job we were able to do. Um, but, you know, he's passionate. He wants to win. <laughs> he's got a lot invested in the program. He does have an opinion, and he has the right to have an opinion. Um, and I recognize that, but I, I don't think I did a good enough job of connecting with him. Uh, you know, Donnie Walsh took the GM job, and Donnie and I go way back. We played at Carolina together. We grew up together. When he took the job, I told him that establish a relationship with Mr. Dolan. And I think he did, and I think it worked out. Mike Woodson, you know, worked with me in Philadelphia and he worked with me in Detroit. I told him the very same thing. I think he had a great relationship with Mr. Dolan. And if I'm not mistaken, it's the last time 
you know, the Knicks went to the playoffs. Um, I think when uh, when Phil got the job, you obviously have to respect his resume. I think I think Mr. Dolan probably backed off a little bit because of the pressure that was, you know, out there about him maybe being too involved and let Phil do, you know, whatever he wanted. Um, and I don't know how that worked out. I don't know what kind of relationship they had, but my failure was not, you know, being involved with Mr. Dolan enough. His name is, he's not the most popular guy in the city. <laughs> you know, like he doesn't seem like he has a ton of support, uh, but you say, and you know, he had a lot of pressure when it came to, you know, Phil Jackson being involved and the resume he carried. And, you know, you went, you've said it, you've won on record before of saying how Mike Woodson had a lot of success here because he had that good relationship with Dolan. And that was probably the last time the Knicks had any real tangible uh, success. Um, what other advice would you give for that, I guess, incumbent coach, as in Mike Miller or whoever would replace him after this year to have success as the Knicks head coach? Well, everybody, I think everybody wants to play in New York. Um, my whole thing is when you're hired to have a job, they got to allow you to do your job. Um, I look at the Knicks this year. I, You know, I worked with Scott Perry in Detroit. And I, he's an unbelievable guy and a really good basketball man. My, my thing is when you hire a coach, you got to understand his values and you got to get players that can play the way he feels comfortable coaching or it doesn't even work. You know, I, I, I don't understand now what's going on in the NBA. Um, I think if a coach plays a particular style and has values, like you said, I always talk about playing the right way. Um, most people know that I believe in defense and rebounding and sharing the ball and playing hard, playing unselfishly, um, and teaching young kids how to play because the young kids that come into the NBA are not completely ready. It's not like years ago when you went four years to college and you came on a veteran team and you earned the right to play. You weren't just handed the, the, the right to play. Um, so, so my thing is, if they're going to hire a coach, um, one, he's going to be really fortunate, I think, because there's no better job in my mind than being an NBA coach, and especially in a city that loves the game so passionately. But but they have, I think they have eight new players, um, and it's not easy. You, the training camps are shorter than we've had before. You play less exhibition games. They have have a ton of young players when you look at getting Smith and Barrett Nicojima and you got the young center who's I think's got a chance to be great you have Dobson you you have really young players you got to make a decision you know are we going to play the young players and let them develop or are we going to go with the veterans and try to help them you know help us win some games and get some respect and credibility I don't I don't know the answer there. I don't know, you know, how they put the team together, what their objectives are. But I do think they have quality players. I do think it takes time. And I do think you have an owner that really wants to win. So if if they bring in a new coach, I wish they'd bring Mike back. 
to be honest. Uh, I hope Miller has great success because, you know, again, the NBA needs the Knicks to be good. Um, David, you know, I I don't know what went on with him and why it didn't work out. Um, I know he's a, a really passionate guy, works hard. But I just think the next coach that gets the job, everybody got to be on the same page and allow him to do his job. Um, you know, Fisher had a way of coaching. Hornacek had a way of coaching. Fisdale had a way of coaching. I don't know if everybody was on the same page as those guys. Um, so my hope is that when they bring somebody in to coach, they let him have a chance to put his values in. And then they have a way of developing these young players. Because I, I look at player development now, it's a joke. Um, kids leave college so soon that even though the, there's some phenomenal college coaches, they really don't have a chance to teach them. And then the best players coming out of college are young because they think if you're 22 years old, you're over the hill. But the best players coming out of college go to bad teams. And there's a reason some of the teams are bad. Maybe there's bad coaching. Maybe there's bad management. Maybe there's the bad locker room. So some of these young kids really aren't taught the right way, aren't given a chance to develop. And we're so impatient with them that so many of these kids, they say, fail after two or three years. No, the system fails fails them. So you look at a, a guy that goes four years of college, he'll probably be drafted by San Antonio. And he's going to be sitting next to Tim Duncan or Tony Parker or Ginobili or somebody's going to say, hey, you're playing for a great coach. You wait your turn. You learn every day. And at the end of the day, your career is going to be phenomenal. You're going to be in a winning program. And we don't have that enough. Seeing the way that this next team was constructed, you said something about there was, they have a lot of young talent and they have a lot of veteran talent that could help win. Say, you know, let's, let's wave a magic wand and say you're at the helm right now. How would you lead this current Knicks team the way it's currently constructed? Would you put more effort into developing the young talent like Barrett, Robinson, and Nilakina, or would you go all in with Morris and Randall and uh, the Paytons of the world and trying to gain some more respectability? Well, don't get me in trouble, but uh, <laughs> I, I love Gibson. I think I love Morris. I love Julius Randall. I love Payne. I think Portis is a hell of a player. But I don't know how much they complement each other. I think a lot of, in a lot of, in my mind, this is the way I, I coach. In a lot of, in my mind, there's a lot of duplication there. But they're all terrific players, and I think they're all terrific guys. The young kids, you traded Pozingas for Smith. Give the kid a chance. He played one year at NC State. You know, he hardly played in, in Dallas. And the way Rick coaches, it's, it's different for Smith. You know, he's a different kind of player. You know, he, I watched him in high school. He's, he's kind of a freewheeling kid. Um, but I love the young kid. Um, so, so my thing, my thing, if Mr. Dolan said, hey, Larry, I want you to go there and develop our young players. Let's give them a chance because we think they really can play. 
Um, I think I'd, I'd go that route. If they say, hey, coach, you can develop those players, but we got to win now, then you got to figure out how you put the best rotation out there every single night. Um, you know, who's, the, who's their starting center right now? I guess Taj. Taj right now, your guy's starting. I, I don't think he's a center. Um, but, but you know, I'm old school. I, I don't know. The, the NBA game is like a video game to me. You know, there's so many three-point shots taken. You know, it's, I was taught to throw the ball inside to get fouled, to get a high percentage shot. And if you didn't take, if you didn't take a great shot, you're going to give up a layup down the other end. So my mind is to get a great shot, to be a great defensive team, to rebound the hell out of the ball, to share the ball and play harder than an opponent every single night. And I think the people in New York would embrace that. I I really do. Um, You know, we're talking about the the guys that they signed. I don't think anybody in the NBA would be critical of the ability of the people they signed. I think if you sat down and thought about it, there's a lot of duplications in my mind. You know, I saw, I watched Julius, you know, grow up in Dallas. I saw what he did in New Orleans. He is, he is a mismatch nightmare. Um, I watched Portis at Arkansas. We played against them. Um, I've seen Gibson contribute all over the place. I, I recruited Mar, you know, the twins. I knew them from Philly. Um, but there's a lot of duplication there. And then you bring in a, a, a guard, a point guard, who's really a good player, but you got Nicodema and Smith. So there's got to be a decision whether we're going to develop the young players and give them a chance to grow, and maybe our record won't be so good, or let's play the older players and give the young kids a chance to contribute when we feel it's necessary. And I don't, I don't know that answer. I'm not there every day in practice. I don't know what, you know, I just know Pat Sullivan, and I have a world of respect for him. Uh, so I, I'm not, I'm kind of confused there. Uh, I, when I came to New York, I screwed up because we, we had young kids. You know, Isaiah drafted Nate Robinson, you know, Channing Fry. We had David, David Lee. We had Eddie Curry, who was, you know, hadn't played in about a year um, or two. Uh, we were mixing older players with the young players. And a lot of, if you look at it, David Lee and Channing Fry were kind of, Neither one of them was a true power forward, and neither one of them was the center. And, you know, to play them together, one of them had to play the small forward and one had to play the big forward, and that was, that was kind of a mix and match. And then you, you had Marbury and Crawford, and then you're trying to bring along Nate. I didn't do a real good job of figuring that stuff out. You know, I thought I, Isaiah did a great job in drafting quality kids, but it would have taken a little while to figure out, you know, how I could have done a better job of figuring a rotation. I was playing older guys, and uh, I didn't think it worked. I didn't think it was fair to the older guys. I didn't think it was fair to the younger guys. I, I could talk hoops with you all day, honestly. Uh, you mentioned your relationship with Scott Perry. Um, very close with him, Steve Mills as well. Um, I didn't, I'm, I'm not, 
I'm not close to Steve Mills. So, <laughs> well, I say I say all that to say, you know, now that Fisdale has been shown the door, it kind of seems like the uh, the spotlight is on those two. And you mentioned that, you know, Randall, good player, Morris, Portis, uh, Peyton, uh, all these guys are good players, but they don't necessarily complement each other well. Um, just as an outsider looking in, how hot do you see the seat getting? For Perry and Mills, if they can't figure out a way to at least move some players or get some players to complement some of the more uh, the better contributors on this Knicks team before maybe eventually they're also shown the door by Mr. Dolan. I don't want to see that happen to anybody, but that the players that we mentioned that they acquired, um, you know, through free agency, I think are quality players. I think a lot of people around the league would tell you the same thing. So, that, you know, I always thought the assets you have on a team are players, you know, draft picks and contracts. And hopefully, you know, a front office and a head coach. But they have players that I think um, other teams that maybe are making a push would probably love to have. Um, their young kids are really good. I mean, I watch Barrett play a lot. Um, you know, I used to go to Montverde. And I, w- I watched him a lot. I I thought he was really good at Duke. I think he's better now. Um, he's unselfish. I don't think he's a great shooter, but you can become a great shooter, a better shooter in the NBA because you have so much time to work on that. But he can handle the ball. He can guard. He's got some toughness. Knox is still one of the youngest kids in the league. Robinson's a rim protector. I mean, Smith, you got to give a chance to. Nikajima, I think, I don't know if he's a true point, but he can guard. He's long. He's young. He's got tremendous enthusiasm. We played against Dotson when I was at SMU, when he was at Houston. He can make a shot. He can guard. He's tough. So they have assets. Um, and I, I think Mills and and Scott did a good job in that respect. I don't know if everybody meshes. And you can you tell after 23 games whether that's right or not? I don't know. You know, maybe Miller can come in and figure out how he can utilize that, that personnel and make them more competitive. Um, I would hope that's the case. The only thing that troubled me um, in this whole scenario, I don't like to see anybody get fired. Because I know how much David cares. The only thing that troubled me is after 10 games, you have a press conference and the coach is not there. That was that was the only thing that really kind of broke my heart. Because I didn't I didn't know if that's the way to do it. If you don't have to apologize to the fans. Um, if if a, a reporter had a question and said to David, "Hey, I don't think your team's playing hard enough," let him answer it or if the team's not playing up to the capabilities you thought, let him answer that. But that, that troubled me a little bit. Um, but I, I really think they got quality people. I I know people say I'm crazy, but I do believe they, they have an owner that cares. I didn't handle it well. Um, and I'm hopeful, you know, again, that, you know, they can figure this out because, you know, the, the NBA needs the Knicks to be relevant. I don't think there's any players out there 
that wouldn't really want to play in the garden and play for the Knicks. I, I don't, I truly don't believe that. I think, and I think they have the kind of players, young players that can grow and develop and get better. Uh, coach, there's a, there's a coaching vacancy out there, man. Uh, <laughs> maybe not necessarily the Knicks, but would you entertain the thought of coming back and coaching in the pro ranks one more time? You know, I, I don't think Mr. Dolan cares for me very much, but I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't care about being a head coach. Um, I, I've had my chance, but when you you grow up like I did, and you played for Dean Smith, Frank McGuire, Mr. Iba, Pete Knowles, John McClendon, Alex Hannum, people like that, I want to share what I know. I hate seeing a lot of these young kids that we have what we call developmental coaches and they're not teaching them how to play. They're not, they don't know how to set a screen. They don't know how to get open. They don't know how to get a pivot foot. They don't know how to make an extra pass. Um, those are things that I want to share with people. Before I'm too old, I want to share all the knowledge I got from the players I coached, from the, the coaches I sat next to from the coaches I played for and share some of the things, things that I screwed up in dealing with players. I, I didn't deal with all my players the right way. Um, there are a lot of things I'd like to take back, but, but I know that there's a lot of things I could share with coaches and, and players. And I think, you know, I look back, um, Johnny Bach, worked for Chicago. Tex Winter worked for Chicago and L.A. Pete Carell worked for Sacramento. They shared their knowledge with young coaches and young players and made them all better. Now you look around, people are afraid to bring an older coach in because they think they don't, the game has passed them by. I've had so many, if you look, you know, people say coaches have a tree. I have a forest. Um, but every time I talk to a coach, they say, you know, coach, you don't understand the game. It's a lot different than when you were there. Yeah. The game might be different, but fundamentals don't change. You know, in football, defense wins, blocking and tackling wins. In baseball, pitching and defense wins. In basketball, fundamentals win. Rebound the ball, share the ball, guard somebody play hard and play unselfishly. That doesn't change. And when I go watch developmental coaches before an NBA game, they spend an hour shooting three-pointers. And they they talk about, you know, everybody, he's a stretch four, or he can't shoot the ball well enough. You don't need everybody on your team to shoot the ball. You need guys to guard and pass the ball and play unselfishly and play hard and, and establish some values that will help you down the road. And that's what's troubling to me, that I don't see that enough. There's not many p- better people to talk basketball with on this entire planet. An NBA Hall of Famer, an NBA champion, an ABA champion, NCAA champion, coach of the year, college coach of the year, three-time ABA All-Star, and most importantly, a native New Yorker. Coach Larry Brown, thank you so much for coming by on Big Apple Buckets, man. Let's do it again sometime. I hope I wasn't too critical. <laughs> no, no, you kept it real, and that's what we like here. You kept it real, and that's what we love about you, Coach. We'll talk to you soon, all right, buddy?
All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. And joining us on Big Apple Buckets, as he does almost every week, the legendary Mark Berman of the Post, giving his blood, sweat, and tears to us last week. But he's back again on a very special episode. Mark, how you doing, Chief? Doing great. Uh, it's been a tough few days uh, here in Nickland, and uh, the Knicks are now in Portland practicing. Oh, yeah. There's a lot to talk about, man. Obviously, with the big news of Coach Dave Fisdale being shown the door right after Friday's practice. So, yeah, so obviously the, the footage came out of uh, Dave Fisdale still kind of running practice right before he was eventually let go. Um, what do you think of the timing of the entire situation? Because a lot of people thought he would kind of like ride out the West Coast trip and then, uh, you know, possibly be shown the door just in case nothing improved what did you think of the timing and, and was it right to let Fisdale go at this moment yeah I thought he, obviously he was coaching the Indiana game we went to practice we spoke to him he talked about lineup changes and a couple of new defensive drills they were doing to guard the three-point line so we were stunned that after he spoke to us that one hour later uh, Mills uh, fired him and I, I thought he probably deserve to coach the Indiana game. They have obviously lost by a combined 83 points to Denver and Milwaukee. It has ended a streak of five straight games against teams who are title contenders. So I thought he'd get the Indiana game, but, you know, Mills decided he had lost the team. And, uh, you know, I don't think Fisdale disagreed strongly. I'm told that you know, he's at peace uh, with the decision. I think he realized uh, maybe another voice was needed. Now, uh, interim coach Mike Miller has taken over uh, coaching duties for the foreseeable future. And for what it's worth, the Knicks looked like they uh, they put up more of a fight uh, against this Indiana game. But lo and behold, you know, things just didn't work out and balls didn't bounce the right way like it tends to. Um, all that being said, do you see Mike Miller coaching out this team for the rest of the season? Yeah, I think he's got the rest of the season. Uh, yeah, they played very hard against Indiana, played very well defensively with a different scheme. They weren't switching on pick and rolls. They were fighting through screens. They held Indiana scoreless for the final five minutes. The Knicks offense is just not good enough in crunch time. They don't have enough talent. And then Julius Randle, of course, misses the second free throw with .1 seconds left. They lose by one. But I thought it was a step in the right direction where Miller, you could see uh, even on the sidelines, he's directing traffic a little. I think he was coaching more. He's a better technician uh, than Fisdale, who's more of a manager and motivator of people. Uh, I Do I think they're going to do well over the rest of the 59 games? Probably not, but they don't have the talent. But I think they'll be coached a little better. Now, uh, do you see any legitimate replacements uh, for Miller or Fisdale along the line? Or do you see a moment or, or a situation where they take the interim tag off Miller and just kind of ride him out? Yeah, I mean, he's going to have to win. Or not win, but if he finishes off uh, and his record is in the 500 range, I think they have to consider him. I think they would um, interview other people. But there's no doubt we, we have the list out of guys that, you know, Mills and Perry like. You know, they like Mark Jackson. His interview wasn't spectacular uh, a couple of years ago when they passed him over, but he'll definitely be in the mix. I think Jason Kidd this time will be in the mix because I know Perry knows him pretty well uh, for a while. Um, 
I, I think they're going to interview Becky Hammond. She probably won't get the job, but just for public relations reason, reasons, the former Liberty Guard, who's now in San Antonio as an assistant, I think she gets an interview. Uh, I, I just, I mean, Tom Thibodeau's been out for a couple of years. Do you finally interview Tom? Why not? I mean, he hasn't really surfaced, resurfaced since being fired by Minnesota, but he's still a great defensive guy. I know he has... There's been some hard feelings between him and Dolan after he left as a Knicks assistant, and he's considered a Van Gundy guy. But, I mean, uh, and Dave Yorger, the former uh, Sacramento and Memphis coach, is uh, a solid guy. But we'll see if Miller can show something. Uh, He was a very successful G League head coach. And, uh, you know, so far after one game, he shows that he he knows what he's doing defensively. And... uh, Maybe there'll be a miracle, and Miller will be in consideration. Now you're in Portland right now, and uh, obviously they're going against uh, the resurgent Carmelo Anthony, who had uh, several successful years, depending on who you ask, as a New York Knick. Um, you spoke with Melo recently, uh, and obviously his contract was just guaranteed throughout the season. What did you say to him? What was the conversation like? What was he? What was his thoughts on kind of like the current regime of the Knicks or just where he's at mentally right now? Yeah, we, we got him last night after they faced Oklahoma. He was in a great mood. He's really loving life right now. He just feels so vindicated. Uh, and, you know, they lost to Oklahoma. He didn't have uh, much of a game. But he's played so well, and he, you know, touched on the KD Kyrie thing. And the biggest theme was he's the guy and the only guy who wanted the pressure of playing for New York. And he made reference to that KD and Kyrie may not have wanted the pressure of wearing Knicks across their chest. He's, he, you know, they're in Brooklyn, and he noted to us. It's different in Brooklyn. Berman, it's always good talking to you. I know it's been a long flight over to the west side, but get your rest. And uh, <laughs> it's been a long week, and I'm sure we're going to have some more to talk about in the weeks ahead, man. Good to, good to talk to you as always. A lot of stuff going on. Thanks a lot, Kev. Take care. Right now. No, right now I'm going to give you a little baby. Okay. Whoa, the new, the new hit. Whoa. Yeah. It's going crazy. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to close the book on today's episode of Big Apple Buckets, a New York Knicks podcast with the New York Post. Thanks to my man Jake Brown, the bald maven, for making it happen each and every single week. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find more Knicks news by signing up for our daily NY Post sports newsletter and by visiting nypost.com. We'll be back next Tuesday talking more Knicks basketball. And, uh, man, I guess we'll just see you then. What else can happen this season? What else could happen?